Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. You've uh, you got a bit of a different background there. Where uh, I do, um, yeah. Where, where I, are you? I'm on the road. I'm over in Perth. I'm about to go down to the beach. No, I wish it was. I wish like Perth was as warm as Queensland. <laughs> yeah, what's <laughs> in the winter. what's the weather nice. like over there at the moment? I, I, I don't. Oh, it's know. chilly. It's it's not as cold as Canberra, or it's probably not as cold as uh, Melbourne. But no. I think it's going to be overcast and a bit rainy the next few days, but then it's going to fine up and we're going to have maybe a couple of days of 16, 17, 18 degrees and sunny, which would be nice. But yeah, no, I like it over here. Perth's great. we got really, uh, they've got some very, very nice beaches over in Perth. Mm. So no, it's a good place. I like it. How you been going? I'm sure that uh, no surprises. You're still... Uh, you're still in Melbourne in your same bedroom that you haven't left for three weeks. How are you going? I am. Actually, you know what? I have this same setup in like 20 different places all around the world. So, you never actually really know where I am. Uh, I could be yeah. in Japan right now. I could be in uh, I could be in Italy. No, you're right. I haven't. Um, no, I haven't left the house. But uh, but it's... it's uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. one thing I was going to say real quick. Um, when, when I met Andre, Andre Jick, um, or maybe I'm not supposed to say this. This is a little top secret. Um, but he moved houses but his set he replicated his set perfectly at his next house Mm. so nobody actually knew that he had moved it was unbelievable and he showed me i was like holy moly that looks exactly the same yeah it was crazy yeah it's uh yeah interesting to do that just to have the continuity um in in your videos um probably quite difficult to do as well uh if there's any kind of like natural light involved or even just Mm -hmm. just the different types of rooms that you'd you'd be moving into but at the same time it's kind of interesting move because it's like wouldn't you want to take that opportunity to like create a new environment yeah i guess maybe not that's what i think yeah yeah no it was pretty crazy he has a he has a crazy setup though crazy setup really cool i like Mm. his place a lot actually yeah yeah one day one day we'll, we'll get a place. We'll have a place at each yeah. like that. Um, but for now, we'll uh, I'll have to I'll have to settle with what I've got. But um, yeah, we've uh, it's a it's an interesting week. Uh, last week was fairly quiet, but we've actually got quite a few uh, little interesting stories to talk about today. Uh, we've got some news out of Mr. Warren Buffett, which uh, is uh, fairly infrequent to mm. hear something that he's been doing in the markets. We've got a couple of lawsuits going on between some big companies. Mm. We've got uh, we've got the US government in- involved. We've got Amazon involved. We've got Alphabet mm. involved. Some big companies. Spicy. And uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, some information out of the Fed as well from Jerome Powell on uh, where we're heading with interest rates. There is actually quite a bit to talk about. I thought we were, I thought it was going to be another slow news week, but there has been some stuff come up. Speaking this Amazon of- stuff is interesting. I'm, go- I'm very interested to hear your take on it as well because, yeah, yeah it's uh, finally it's finally happened, everyone, but mm. we'll, I guess we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> so with that said, today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker to ShareSite, or you can do it manually using Excel through your broker or entering in your trades one by one. 
And when you do that, it will track all the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, uh, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans on kind of ETFs or that sort of thing, it will do those calculations for you, which is a lifesaver. Currency gains, if you're buying shares uh, internationally or you just hold foreign currencies. Uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time, which is, of course, upon us if you're Australian. So uh, ShareSide generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio, as well as used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. Uh, at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spot S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link. You can sign up to their free plan and use it for as long as you want. I think you can track up to 10 holdings uh, or you can sign up to a more premium plan for more reporting and more features, benchmarking against indexes and that sort of thing. And if you do that, you'll get four months off an annual subscription, which is 33% off. So go check it out if you're interested. And uh, as always, thanks to those who have used uh, our link when signing up to share site and are supporting uh, the podcast. You want to take us through um, what Mr. Warren Buffett was, um, his little bit of news with his Japan stocks. You want to start there maybe? Yeah, I think it's a good place to start because uh, I'm sure a lot of people care about what Warren Buffett has been doing, especially when it comes to moves in the market. Uh, and it's a relatively short story as well. There's not too much, um, it's not too much right. meat on the bone of this story. Um, but uh, essentially on Monday, uh, Berkshire Hathaway increased its investment in those five Japanese trading firms that it's been kind of right. slowly buying a little bit more of over really the, the past couple of years. So uh, on Monday, its wholly owned subsidiary, uh, Berkshire's wholly owned subsidiary, National Indemnity Company, increased its stake uh, to average more than 8.5% of each company. Ooh. So, um, Oh, yeah, he's getting closer. He's, he's, uh, he's edging his way towards, uh, towards the 10% mark. Um, and for those who are unaware, if you're looking in kind of Berkshire's 13F filing uh, that comes out every every quarter to talk about uh, what positions they have, you actually won't see these Japanese uh, investments there. Um, first of all, it's because they're not U.S. companies. Uh, but even if you look on the uh, even if you look on the the major shareholders of these Japanese companies, you actually won't see Berkshire listed, and it's because they're actually buying mm. them through national indemnity. It's like kind of a sneaky way that they're uh, he, they're kind of investing um, with one of their wholly owned subsidiaries rather than um, the broader Berkshire holding company. So. Yeah, it is. Note. It is a because I remember getting a bit stumped by that, trying to look for it, and you just can't find <laughs> it. Even if you look at something like a ticket dot com, it doesn't come up. I don't think. Um, but yeah, because it's actually not technically Berkshire Hathaway. It is National Indemnity. Yep. I wonder what uh, what advantages. I wonder what advantages that gives them. What what advantage? I I have no idea. Like why why have they done it like that? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. I'd have to ask someone yeah. because, of course, it has something to do with how, you know, Buffett for, for a very long time, well, this is just how, kind of how he does business is he uses the the insurance float, uh, the money coming in from from insurance premiums to, to invest um, capital. Um, but he, you know, within Berkshire owns, you know, a number of insurance units. Um, so it would be interesting to talk to someone in the insurance space to know exactly what the benefits are of them buying through just the Berkshire mm. Holding Company or buying through a wholly owned subsidiary like National Indemnity is kind of it would be interesting to find out why that's the case. Um, but the, yeah. the the five companies, um, just as a kind of a reminder, are the five uh, five out of I think six or seven. No, sorry, it's seven trading houses uh, in Japan. So the five that uh, Berkshire now owns a piece of are Itoshu, Marubeni, Mitsubishi, uh, Mitsu, 
and Sumitomo. So, <clears throat> and I think they're the five largest um, out of the right. out of the the seven trading firms, which primarily yep. kind of control pretty much all of uh, Japan's imports. So, importing commodities and then kind of um, basically acting as kind of a middleman between uh, importing those those products and then kind of distributing them uh, to companies across Japan and then other countries kind of in the in the in the Southeast Asian region. Interesting. And there you go. Yeah. So the the news from this week is that they basically just uh, increased the stake from about seven point five percent to about eight point five percent in each one, uh, mm-hmm. and it was only a couple of months ago in April where they increased from six point five percent. So every couple of months, it seems like he's kind of looking at the price and trying to increase his investments if the um, yep. as the price kind of becomes more attractive. Um, and yeah, as you said, he's edging closer to the 10% mark, which he did pledge that he would only buy 9.9% of each of the firms. Uh, so yeah, he's getting very close. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, I think, I think he's not going to buy more than 10%. It seemed like they had a very strong, uh, I mean, this is how, you know, things fly in Japan anyway. There's a very strong culture of, of respect and sticking to your word and that kind of thing. Um, but Buffett has many, many times said that he won't buy any more than 9.9% of those firms. So, um, yep. don't expect that number. What, what did you say the average is? More than 8.5 in each yep. the av- on average? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that will go too much further um, without something, at least without Buffett going over there and having a proper chat. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't see it. Buffett really doesn't like that red tape. He never has. He's always yeah. stopped before he hits 10%. There's only a very select few businesses that he owns more than 10% of because he just doesn't want that extra red tape. <laughs> he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to have to report because once you go over 10%, you just have to report every time you do anything, right? Yeah, I think, well, I believe I believe because they're Japanese holdings, he has to report when he's buying and selling at least. It's, it's now two days uh, because he's over 5%. Yeah, yeah. But there are, you're right, right. there are additional... Um, kind of regulatory loopholes to jump through. In most countries, when you go over the 10% mark, you become kind of what's yep. considered a material shareholder with significant influence. Yep. So you're uh, you're certainly a lot more scrutinized. So yeah, but that's it. Yeah. That's it for the story. Oh, okay. No worries. <coughs> um, very interesting. All right, I got to talk to you about this Amazon story. Uh, this one just hit me right in the feels. I'm so, I'm actually so glad this is happening to be truthful. I'm so glad that this is happening. The headline is quite simply FTC sues Amazon. (laughs) So the federal trade commission on Wednesday sued Amazon, alleging the, uh, the nation's dominant online retailer intentionally duped millions of customers into signing up for its mainstay (laughs) prime program and sabotaged their attempts to cancel. Finally, someone has clued in on what Amazon is doing. Yeah. I, do you do you have you had this experience as well in the past? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't at first I wasn't exactly sure what this lawsuit was going to be about, but then as soon as you mentioned Prime, I, it makes yeah. perfect sense because yeah, they are they're, yeah. they're one of those few companies that just make it so hard for you to cancel. Um, it's so hard to cancel. It's also so easy to 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 opt into. Like I remember, I don't know if it's different in the states, but I'm uh, we're over here in Australia, and we still use Amazon. So I make my Amazon account, and then in the like massive like clickable button right next to you know the buy 
um, you know, right next to the product and like the buy button is, is like um, buy now and get free or instant one day delivery with Amazon Prime. But once you click on that button, it doesn't say, oh, by the way, this is a subscription. It's going to keep coming out of your account. You don't have to sign a T's and C's. Yeah. You just click that button and it's like, all right. Yeah, no worries. Yep. All good. Yeah. And then months later, you see that Amazon's just taken money out of your account. You're like, what the heck is this? <laughs> and then yeah. lo and behold, turns out you you signed up to a full um, delivery subscription service just yeah. through one click of a button. There's there's a bunch of those across their entire website as well. Another one is they mm. own the live streaming, streaming platform Twitch. And as a part of owning Amazon Prime- Do they? They do. And uh, as a part of- own, <laughs> Yeah. As a part of- uh, be, being a Prime member, you can get one subscription for free to anyone on the platform. But if you don't have oh. Prime, you can still click the button that says Prime, free Prime subscription. But it doesn't tell you that you, it's not really free. <laughs> it's only free if you have Prime already. If you click the button and you don't have Prime, it signs you up to Prime. <laughs> um, and there's a bunch of them. Even on their, their video platform, I'm pretty sure you can just... Even if you don't have Prime, you can go on the video website and like browse through movies. And as soon as you click on a movie and click play, yes. it then triggers the, the the you need Prime. So it it um mm. it signs you up. So there's a bunch of them. Yep. They're, they're the king of uh, tricking you into they signing are. up. <laughs> yeah, they are the king. It says here the agency claims Amazon violated the FTC Act and the Restore Online Shoppers Confidence Act by using so-called dark patterns or deceptive design tactics meant to steer users towards a specific choice to push consumers to enroll in Prime without their consent. Quote, Amazon tricked and trapped people into recurring subscriptions without their consent, not only frustrating users, but also costing them significant money, FTC Chair Lina, Lena Khan said in a statement. Amazon spokesperson Heather Lehman said in a statement that the FTC's claims are, guess what, Hamish, false on the facts and the law. Um, the surprise, truth surprise. is that customers love Prime and by design, we make it clear and simple for customers to both sign up and for our, and to cancel their Prime membership, Layman said. As with all our products and services, we continually listen to customer feedback and look for ways to improve the customer experience. And we look forward to the facts becoming clear as this case plays out. Why would they be looking forward to the facts coming out? Because the facts are that it's very deceptive. <laughs> Oh, yeah, cancelling is the other one. I swear they have like, it's just so frustrating to figure out where you have to cancel first. And then they just try like, they, you go through a number of screens where they're like, but you'll miss out on this, but you'll miss are out you on sure? this. <laughs> are you really sure? Yes, I'm sure. But are you, are you positive that you're <laughs> sure? But are you absolutely positive that you're positive that you're sure? <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. I mean, honestly, I've, I've. I'd, I don't know. I've never, I've never s- cancelled a subscription um, with Amazon because I just, I, d- I don't know how. <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> you have to go, hard, you have to go physically hard. to the warehouse to cancel it. <laughs> yeah. The X amount of dollars per month is easier than the emotional trauma of actually going through the process to try and cancel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better for my he- mental health if I just keep play- if I just keep paying. <laughs> Uh, it says here the FTC has been had been investigating sign up and cancellation processes for Amazon's Prime program since March 2021. Tensions flared between Amazon and the FTC when the agency 
sought to have uh, CEO Andy Jassy and founder Jeff Bezos testify on the company's prime practices. Amazon argued the request would be unduly and burdensome, which the FTC rejected. Launched in 2005, the Prime program has grown to become one of the most popular subscription services in the world with more than 200 million members globally and has generated billions of dollars for Amazon. Memberships cost $139 a year and includes perks like free shipping and access to streaming content. The lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court for the Western District of Washington accuses Amazon leadership of slowing or rejecting changes that would have made it easier for users to cancel Prime because those changes, quote, or adversely affected Amazon's bottom line. Uh, Amazon made it difficult for consumers to buy items on its site without Prime, and a button that instructed users to complete their transaction did not clearly state that they were also agreeing to join Prime for a recurring subscription, the complaint states. The cancellation process is also difficult to navigate and and is designed to deter customers from ending their Prime subscription, the FTC alleged. Amazon used an internal term called Iliad to describe the process, referencing Homer's epic poem about the Trojan War, the agency said, citing a report by Insider. The complaint marks the third case the FTC has brought against Amazon in the last month. Amazon in late May agreed to pay the agency more than $30 million to settle cases alleging privacy lapses in its Alexa and Ring units. The company said it disagreed with the FTC's claims, but that it settled in order to move on from the matter. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. There you go. Uh, yes, hey? the corporation paying to not take responsibility. That's that's new. <laughs> that's the system we live in, isn't it? Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts? What What do you think is going to happen? Um, I mean, as I said- Surely I, FTC wins. Yeah, Surely, I, I come mean, on us. As I, Surely. As, as I said a couple of weeks ago, you don't lose against- You don't win against the US government, so- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. No, I, I don't know. Um, it, it would- uh, That's the thing. Th- these are all very um, grey area matters, I guess. What's deceptive? What's, you know, a fair business practice? You know, is it reasonable for Amazon to try and convince you not to cancel when you go to the page? Or is that just a a hindrance that shouldn't be there? Should it be one click cancel? These are all questions that need case law Mm. like this to to settle. Um, And you could make very reasonable arguments on on both sides, I think. Um, Yeah. So, so I don't know. I think it's fair. I think my my opinion is that it's fair that consumers understand what they're getting into and they should there should be some sort like if if there's going to be a button that signs you up then the button needs to say try amazon prime for one day delivery and this signs you up to a subscription that costs you this amount per month Yep. Like, I know that that doesn't work like website design. That would be a terrible name to put on a button. <laughs> but that's what the button needs to say. Instead of just yeah. like sign up to Prime and experience one day delivery and then you click it and then you've signed up. I think it just needs yeah. to, I just need, think that the problem here is the transparency. It's not clear and it's not transparent. Yeah. And the same thing, I think that consumers have the right to be able to cancel their whatever they've um, subscribed to without having to go through heaps of rigmarole. So it should just be like, you know, in the same way that um, some of the social media apps, I can't remember which one it was. If you um, are tasked with the with the objective of signing out of your account, good luck. 
<laughs> it is so hard. I think maybe it's Instagram or it might be Facebook. I can't remember. One of them, it is so, so hard to figure out how to sign up. I literally had to Google, how do I sign out of <laughs> Facebook or whatever it was. I, I don't want to name names, but it was one of them. I literally had to like, le- you click on account settings and then you click on a particular menu item. And then un- after that menu, you go to the subcategory of this, you click on that and then you go right to the bottom and then you click on one more thing and then you can sign out. This is buried. Yeah. Yeah. It's buried. It's, you, yeah. you know, they don't want you to sign out, you know, they want you to. Yeah. So anyway, I think, I think it just need, my, I kind of side with the consumer on this. I think it just needs yeah. to be clear, not deceptive. I hate deceptive tactics. Always have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I imagine you, I don't know. What's your thoughts? Similar? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, I think at least twice I've accidentally signed up to Amazon prime because I tend to, <laughs> I, te- I tend to put it on and off. <laughs> Um, every few months, like if I'm buying, right. if I know I'm going to be ordering a bunch of stuff off Amazon, then I'll have it. And, you know, I get to watch some of the movies on there as well as a side benefit, but otherwise I don't really use it that religiously. So I tend to turn it off mm. and on. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been yeah. a couple of times where I've, <laughs> where I've accidentally turned it on or I've just real, yeah. I've just checked my you know account. And I'm like, wow, okay. I've just been paying for the last four months and I didn't even know. Yeah. Um, cause that's a problem. I mean, yeah. if that's that's really the problem. If if it's deceptive and you don't realize you've signed up to something, then for a lot of people, they will start paying for it for months before they actually realize. And maybe you can say that's on them. They need to be checking their bank accounts, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I don't really think it's on them if they... Because obviously, you're not going to check things if you don't think you've that that could them. be a reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, anyway. From one yeah. lawsuit to another... Uh, hey. From one tech giant to another, there's a, there's a there's a battle going on that started this week between the newspapers and the digital advertising giants, um, which is uh, of course it gave me an excuse to kind of look into some of the statistics around digital advertising as well, which I had I hadn't looked at in a little while. So um, I'll right. I'll bring it all, I'll package it all together. Um, we'll talk about the lawsuit and then um, yeah, we'll talk about really how much dominance. Google really does have in this in this space, um, but essentially, spoiler the alert: this, is it a lot? No, actually, they they're not a monopoly. They actually don't have that much market share at all. <laughs> Jokes. Oh, <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So this isn't. Uh, it's a it's a it's a lawsuit around uh, anti competitiveness and um, Google's Google's. Uh, no stranger to to antitrust related <laughs> lawsuits, whether they're coming from. It's a non-recurring expense, Hamish. It's yeah. a non-recurring expense. E- exactly, <laughs> exactly right. A non-recurring five billion dollar expense. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that uh, happens every year without fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something up, something up with that. Um, but essentially, the the lawsuit this week is uh, from Gannett, who filed a lawsuit against Google. Uh, Gannett is a newspaper media company. They're actually the largest newspaper media company by daily circulation. Um, so by the number of newspapers in circulation, they're the largest. I don't know. What is that? Like mm, four now? Like, was there like four newspapers in circulation? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but the biggest paper they own is USA Daily. Um, so some people might know that newspaper. I think I've seen, I think I've heard of them. Um I think honestly, I've never heard of it. <laughs> How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, I've so I've so moved on from newspapers. So I've never even heard of this. How crazy! 
Yeah. Yeah. The only newspapers I, I've heard of are like the ones that have now built reasonable online uh, publishing websites, like the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, that that's 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 about it. Uh, but in the lawsuit, yep. <laughs> I was trying to think of another one, and I can't. Um, uh, oh, we got the New York Times, but um, you know, if you want to, if you want to read about yeah. um, FTX and uh, and Theranos, but um, and uh, how great they are, yeah, exactly, and how, and how awesome they are, and how, but- how their founders <laughs> just have have it so so hard. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly right, exactly right. Um, in the lawsuit, uh, Gannett argues that although the digital ad market has exploded, publishers do not see much of that money because Google and Alphabet have, quote, acquired and maintain monopolies for ad tech. Um, so pretty uh, straight down the line, um, antitrust related uh, lawsuit. Uh, they're alleging that the company is, quote, the dominant player for each step of the ad selling process. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to explore what it is they actually mean by that, because I think a lot of people just kind of think, oh, yeah, they sell ads. Like that's just, you know, it's a one step process. They, they just sell ads, but they actually there's actually quite a process uh, involved in selling ads. There's There's kind of a number of different stages and uh, they're actually alleging that Google has too much dominance on each of these steps uh, right. and how they've kind of built that over time. So in their really early years, Google first created uh, what's called AdWords. Uh, and AdWords is essentially mm-hmm. an algorithmic bidding system that allows businesses to bid for ad placements. So this is how most digital advertise, uh, adver- advertisements are placed these days is you're not actually having a personal relationship with um, an ad seller or, or anything like that. You're just using a system that allows you to bid for placements, um, where you want to put the ads, yeah. who who do, who do you want them to be in front of and how much you're willing to yeah. pay for those ads and that sort of thing. Um, so that's kind of one side. And then Google then after that created Google AdSense, which is a piece of software that allows websites and publishers to allocate space for advertising on their sites. Uh, so if you have a website, you can kind of pick a banner and you can say, Hey Google, I want you to run ads, you know, in this, um, particular section of the website. So essentially Google very early on controlled the relationship with ad buyers and also the relationship with ad sellers, um, with them kind of being the middleman between those two things, but having relationships with both sides. Uh, and up until 2007, you could probably say this wasn't too much of a market dominance issue because most of this was around uh, search advertising. So at this point, they weren't really doing any display advertising. It was mostly that they were a massive search engine and they were allowing businesses to rank on those on those searches. Um, but then yeah. in 2007, they acquired a company called DoubleClick for $3.1 billion. And this is essentially a piece of software that allowed them to uh, do display advertising. And it actually came mm. less than a year after they acquired YouTube. So you can very kind of quickly right. see that around 2007, they started to build a vision of how they were going to control the digital advertising space. They had kind mm. of search ads on lock uh, and they started to buy pieces of software. They bought the video platform. Then they bought the software and the kind of the, the back end for, for the display ads. They started to build out uh, significant control. And yeah, you can see their strategy forming. It, it, exactly. And the interesting thing about DoubleClick 
is it also gave them a system for building one-to-one relationships with publishers, advertisers, and brands. So up until that point, most of Google's advertising had been all algorithmic and a lot of their advertising is still algorithmic. As I said, kind of people just put in bids. But today they have a very large part of their business is these custom relationships with massive brands, right? Like Coca-Cola, for example, Mm. isn't logging into... Uh, AdWords and, <laughs> and and building a profile and then spending a billion dollars on YouTube ads. They have a one-to-one relationship with Google and go- they, they have a custom mm. relationship, a custom contract. And uh, DoubleClick, which they acquired in 2007, actually provided them the systems and a lot of those relationships already. Um, so essentially, it's interesting because Garnett was essentially arguing that uh, newspapers like um, like like USA Today that they own, essentially had no choice after Google did all of these acquisitions, but to deal with Google in some way, whether it's through right. kind of the algorithmic bidding or whether it's through the the one to one relationships they used to have um, through double click was now controlled by Google as well, which right. is really interesting to kind of get into like the 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 back end of the different systems that that Google really controls in in this. Uh, kind of this new space. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so then Google essentially um, responded. Do do you want to have a guess? Did they, do you reckon they think that they um, have too much market power? They probably, look, they probably did a thorough review of their systems Mm. and they probably came to the conclusion that actually, you know what, we... We've been a very successful business, and we do have a lot of dominance in this space. Yeah. And uh, and thank you for bringing that to our attention. We're we're going to take instant action on it. We're actually going to break up our business <laughs> into multiple segments. Um, we're going to sell some of those businesses to our competitors to make it a more competitive landscape. Mm. And um, and lastly, that I imagine they would have apologized for um, for not identifying this monopoly earlier, and uh, and will probably be refunding some of the clients um, as as uh, as some goodwill, you know, yep. uh, before going before going forward. Um, is is that what they did? Yeah, pretty much. As a side note, by the way, it would be interesting to <laughs> no, they didn't do that. But as a side <laughs> note, um, it would it would be interesting to see. Do you, do you ever foresee a, a a point in the future where Google is forced to break up some of their businesses? Like, do you reckon they'll ever have to I don't know. give up control of? Because uh, you can kind of think of like like YouTube is kind of like a publishing platform. Uh, so mm. they, when it comes to YouTube and video, they own the publishing. And they own the ad sales. Like they own the entire mm. end-to-end process. Like there's nothing yeah. that they don't own except the content creation. But, you know, they just they pay us out a, a portion of the revenue. So mm. that's a really interesting situation. You never – like even when newspapers were – and, and television was the primary way that people advertised, in a lot of cases they were working with uh, an ad sales company that, that kind of – dealt with all of the ad sales that dealt with the ad buyers. So it is an interesting, Mm. it's an interesting dynamic. They certainly have significant power. A monopoly? (laughs) No, don't use, don't use the dreaded. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right, all right. I think you misspoke. I think you misspoke. Duopoly. There's a competitor. Duopoly. There is a competitor. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) I I, I publicly apologize. Yeah. 
you'll be you'll be getting a you'll be getting a warning on your uh, on your YouTube account. You just you just see it. Gonna get a strike. I'm gonna get a strike on my YouTube channel yeah. now. Like, community oh, guidelines. Yeah, <laughs> you violate the community guidelines. <laughs> it's like the, in the community guidelines, it's just like you must not talk negatively. You not you not must bring our monopoly to light. You must yeah. not talk negatively about our business. You yeah. must not suggest that this company be broken up. That's against our community guidelines. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> um, Honestly, to answer your question though, sorry, to answer your question, I, I, I don't know if there will ever be a, a time where like these big companies get broken up because I, I don't know, maybe I'm a skeptic, maybe I'm a pessimist, but I feel like if you have the most money, like even looking at lobbying, how lobbying works, like I feel like if you have the most money, you're going to be fine because you can always, as sad as it is, you can always just pay for an outcome that you want. So I I don't know if anyone's played that game Cyberpunk 2077, but in that game, it's obviously a futuristic kind of cyberpunk game, but the, the whole city is controlled by like five megacorps. It's like politics is out the window, crime's through the roof because the people that control the city is like five megacorporations. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that's going to happen one day. Like I can't, I can't help but think that that's what's going to happen. But I don't know. So that, that's my washed opinion. What's your washed opinion? Do you think they ever get broken up? Um, I think maybe. I mean, the, the US has done it before. Um, I think they, they've, they've, they've broken up large conglomerates before. Um, they just haven't done it in a very long time because there hasn't been businesses with, with you know, as significant power as, as there was, you know, about 100 mm. years ago. Uh, a lot of industries were completely owned by basically single families, um, whether it was yep. oil or, or railways or whatever. Um, I don't know though. I don't know. Um, mm. I, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Classic we'll, young investor style. That's right. But anyway, Google's response. So no, they didn't. Uh, they didn't <laughs> take responsibility. They didn't turn into a not uh, not profit, not for, not for profit. Uh, <laughs> they said uh, <laughs> uh, Dan Taylor, the VP of Google Ads. Uh, they always put the vice president up. By the way, you notice yeah. that the, the the president yeah. gets to <laughs> the president gets to not take any media heat. It's always the VP. <laughs> Anyway, uh, these, they said uh, these claims are simply wrong. Uh, in a statement, publishers have many options to choose from when it comes to using advertising technology to monetize. In fact, Gannett uses dozens of competing ad services, including Google Ad Manager. So, okay. <laughs> and when publishers choose to use Google tools, uh, they keep the vast majority of revenue. We'll show the court how our advertising products benefit publishers and help them fund their content online. So, um, mm. you know, pretty pretty stock standard. I mean, that's that's a. Um, also, did they just say that they, there's dozens <laughs> of ads? Oh no, include no. Okay, yeah. I, I understand. They're not saying. Yeah, they're, they're not, not say, saying. There's I, dozens of competing <laughs> ones, like <yeah>. our system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the way they worded that there's was dozens pretty funny. of options, and one of them is our system. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the right. way they okay. worded that was very funny. I, I thought that was hilarious. It sounds <laughs> like they're like, there's heaps of options. You can use AdSense. Yeah. You can use Google Ad Manager. Google. You can <laughs> you can post stuff on YouTube. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Right. Yeah, that is exactly how that reads, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um, well, but then again, like this is this will be interesting because I do think they probably have. I don't know. They still have a point. Like at the end of the day, no one's going to use their service unless it's, unless it works. And like advertisers aren't going to advertise unless they see a benefit. So if they choose to advertise with Google, even if they have a monopoly, 
it still has to work for them. Yes. So like if 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 I went if I say sold my courses or something and I went through Google and I advertised those courses, if I just wasn't getting any sales through working with Google, I'm not going to keep giving them money. I'm going to save that money. I'm going to stop doing that. So I mean it's an interesting argument because at the end of the day it still has to be a good you know um uh, a good economic choice for these businesses. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not. Uh, I think there's good argument. Again, there's good arguments on both sides. I think um, clearly yeah. Google has done an incredible service to the advertising industry in terms of uh, the amount of data aggregation that they do and 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 making effective advertisements that deliver much better results than newspaper ads could ever possibly um, uh, uh, deliver for you. And as, as a result mm. of that, the entire ad market has grown. Um, it's not just that ad dollars are shifting away from traditional means to digital. The ad market is exploding because advertisers are getting a better return on their investment. So they're spending more of their you know, revenue, let's say, uh, a high percentage of their revenue towards advertising because they get a better return on it. So clearly Google has done, mm. you know, has led the way in, 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 a, in a number of aspects in terms of evolving the digital ad or just the advertising space in a good way. Uh, yeah. But it, the, the interesting point is uh, they certainly do have market dominance. Um, so as I said, I kind of went and looked at some data just kind of related to this because I thought it, I, was, I was just curious to see how Google, you know, Google's a struggling company. I wanted to see, make sure they're doing okay. I want to make, yeah. you know, make, make sure they're still handling themselves. But uh, all of this data comes from uh, Dentsu Agus, which puts out every couple of months uh, a complete global digital ad spend report. And it's got a ton of interesting stuff if you're curious about this. I love nerding out on advertising spend. On <laughs> So yeah. if you're interested in that stuff, go check out their uh, analysis because it's completely free. Uh, but the global digital advertising spend in 2022 was $394 billion. So it's an enormous market. Mm. Uh, and Google's yeah. advertising revenue in 2022 was $225 billion, which is 57% of the global digital advertising market. So um, mm. I think it's fair to say they've got, you know, considerable <laughs> market uh, market power. Uh outside yeah, it's of interesting because yeah, I was just gonna say like there there are other there are other I mean um Apple has about I think about that same dominance in app store revenue. Um in global app store revenue share. I mean TSMC has about that same dominance in semiconductor manufacturing. So it's not like this is you know, these things do exist and some of them yeah. you know just fly under the radar. So it's interesting that this one kind of comes up now yeah yeah for sure um and yeah like another kind of another in- interesting as- aspect uh so a- outside of digital advertising so kind of non-digital advertising traditional advertising uh, still represents 42 percent of all advertising so only you know 58 percent of advertising is is digital uh and you'd wow. potentially expect that well first of all you'd expect that a lot of advertising will remain not digital um, you know, out out of home advertising, billboards, that's that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, you'd still expect some, but over time, you'd expect a lot to be transferring into digital. Um, whether it's you know television ads, radio, newspapers, um, even cinema, you'd probably expect to potentially decline over time uh, as a percentage of the whole pie as people spend more time at home. You know, everyone yep. gets their 
mm-hmm. you know, gets their headset on and has the cinema in home. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you, you just know that's going to happen. <laughs> no, but, Apple um, Vision Pro, here we come. Yep, exactly right. Um, <laughs> but uh, you would expect that over time, you know, that market's going to continue to grow. And of the digital advertising spend, the types of advertising Google does is uh, are the ones that represent the majority of the industry. So 88% of digital advertising is either display ads or search ads, which are the two areas right. that about 15 years ago, Google realized that they wanted to start making a bunch of acquisitions um, before the FTC kind of realized yeah. the, uh, the dominance they were about to enjoy. It's interesting. Um, it's such an interesting idea that businesses get, uh, they make really, really good moves. I mean, bit, I mean, credit to Google's management for doing this stuff back in the day. They make these great moves that benefit shareholders. They put themselves, they make that. It's not like it just happens like, oh, they just became a monopoly. No, they worked really yeah. hard to make the business moves or grow their business so that they became number one. Like they worked yeah. to do that. It's kind of funny in a way that this system is like, okay, congratulations on getting there. Now, because you're there, we're going to punish you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's kind of like when people argue that, uh, you know, uh, Meta buying um, Instagram was was uh, was stifling competition. Um, mm. You know, that that's a ridiculous claim if you understand this, what Instagram looked like at the time. It wasn't even the biggest photo sharing app uh, of mm. its kind. Uh, they bought it for a billion dollars. You know, it was it had some... It had some uh, some users, significant mm. amount of users, but you know what the Instagram that exists today is a dramatically different product than the Instagram that was created before Meta took it over. Uh, mm. So yeah, it is interesting to see, and and a lot of these you know acquisitions will go under the radar, you know, because these acquisitions are going to be happening today, right? This year, pe- businesses will be making acquisitions that are going to plant seeds for the next fifteen years, and it's often the ones that are for back end and for software that just fly under the radar. Like no one's mm. really thinking, you know, like the double click acquisition by Google, it didn't really add any f- customer facing products. It was really just yeah. software that they'll buy. They'll buy kind of the, the infrastructure on the back end to build out this future that they envisioned that it ultimately came true. Even YouTube was a dramatically different product than what it is today. Um, mm. Very few people would have thought that YouTube in 2007 or eight when it was only a couple of years old, was going to turn into what it is today. Um, so, yeah, props to them for, for, for being able to do that. Mm. Um, the, the flip side of them having too much market dominance is that for a very long time in digital advertising, it's really been Google and Meta. This the two duopoly, the giants controlling yep. 90 plus percent of the advertising market. That seems to be shrinking in some aspects. Um, so okay. Amazon, for example, um, is starting to kind of carve out some of the market for searching for e-commerce. So instead of people searching through Google for e-commerce, a lot of that traffic is now going through Amazon and Amazon runs their own kind of advertising infrastructure there. And then you actually have a lot of media companies now that own streaming services. And a lot of those streaming services offer advertising, uh, which is kind of a, 
a, a few years ago, you might have thought, well, all of the advertising from television is going to go onto YouTube. Like that's the most natural progression. But an mm. even more natural progression is a lot of television advertising going onto streaming services. Um, so sure, YouTube probably has a much better um, ad system in place and a lot of advertising will continue to go there. But it'll be maybe p- potentially spread a little bit more thinly between, at least at the, you know, at the, at the, at the margins, between a bunch of new companies entering the digital advertising space. There you go. Yeah, there, there's definitely, you're right, there definitely are other avenues. They obviously have quite <laughs> quite a duopoly. But yeah, you're, I never really thought about that before. There are new ways that it's kind of been broken up a little bit more, but still we'll have to see. wait and see if that actually becomes a significant chunk of the pie because it's not at the moment. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Um, all right, is that all we have to talk about? Uh, that's Four. it. Yeah. What's, uh, what have we got? All right. Um, I'll quickly just take us through our good old mate, Jezza, Jay Powell. Jezza Powell. Um, he, he expects more Fed rate hikes ahead as inflation fight, quote, has a long way to go. So I'll get through this quickly because there's not too much to add. He said, Federal uh, Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on Wednesday affirmed that more interest rate increases are likely ahead are likely ahead until additional progress is made on bringing down inflation. Speaking a week after the Federal Open Market Committee officials decided for the first time in more than a year not to push rates higher, the central bank leader indicated that the move was li- uh, the move likely was just a brief respite rather than an indication that the Fed is done with their hiking. Quote, Nearly all FOMC participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year, Powell said in prepared remarks for testimony he will deliver to the House Financial Services Committee. The speech is part of his semi-annual appearance on Capitol Hill to update lawmakers on monetary policy. Following last week's two-day FOMC meeting, officials indicated they see rate increases totaling 0.5 percentage point uh, uh, through yeah through the end of 2023. So another 0.5 of a percent um, by the end of this year. That would indicate two additional hikes, assuming quarter-point moves. Uh, the the Fed's benchmark borrowing rate is currently pegged in a range between five and 5.25 percent. So we could go. Um, five and a half, five point seven five by the end of this year is what they are anticipating. Um, thoughts? Inevitable, Hamish? Are you surprised? Um, not surprised. You never nah. know what inflation is going to do and what interest rates will do, but uh, also not really surprising that inflation's being a little bit stickier than uh, than previously expected. But what is kind of crazy is, yeah, it what was, yeah, it's still only been a year, a bit over a year now that uh, rates were zero <laughs> and now they're at wild. Well, let's, let's say they get to the end of the year and they do two more hikes, almost 6%, which is, um, it's, it's quick. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Boom. Sorry if you own a variable rate home loan. Bang. Gotcha. You didn't yeah. see that one coming, did you? Yeah. Or maybe you did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Maybe you did. Um, yeah, no, that is crazy. Uh, inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year. He said, nonetheless, inflation pressures continue to run high and the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. Fed officials generally prefer to look at core inflation, which excludes food and energy prices. That is showing inflation running at 4.7% per, uh, sorry, year over year, um, through April, according to the central bank's preferred measure of personal consumption expenditures prices. The core consumer price index for 
for May was 5.3%. Um, I don't think we have to say too much more on that one. Powell said the labour market is still tight, though there are signs that conditions are loosening, such as uh, an increase in labour force participation in, in the prime 25 to 54 age group and some moderating in wages. However, he noted that the number of open jobs still far exceeds the available labour pool. Um, quote, we have been f- seeing the effects of our policy tightening on demand in the most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy. He said it will take time, however, for the full effects of monetary restraint to be realised, especially on inflation. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just quickly reading through the rest of this, but I don't think there's much more. He just basically keeps reaffirming, which I guess is good that he's not going to let what happened in the 70s happen again. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing kind of not really related to this, but a little bit related. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how AI affects unemployment over time, because one mm. thing you can have is uh, you can have a high unemployment rate not because there's a lack of job openings, but because the people, the the job openings are for skills that people don't have. So when yeah. you have a rapid technology, you can have a quick transfer in demand for away from certain jobs and towards other jobs. And that can mean there are jobs available. Businesses want uh, people in those areas and those wages can skyrocket. But at the same time, you can have a lot of people unemployed because they just don't have those, those skills. Yeah. Um, so, Potentially, we could see something like that happening. Um, I think an obvious kind of one would be kind of truck drivers, which I think is like an enormous percentage of uh, men in the US are truck drivers. It's some crazy percentage, like 30% or 50% or something, some crazy number. Right, right. Um, And and if there is autonomous vehicles, then you you would see a whole lot of people who are kind of moving out of those areas and then, you know, the rise of AI, potentially the need for more, I guess, like software engineers and and jobs in that realm. And those are you know, two completely different jobs. It's not as if you can just, you know, transfer easily um, yep. to those new skills. So that's yep, an that's interesting aspect. It's worth remembering. There was once a job called elevator operator. Someone would stand in the lift and they would go up and they would go down. There used to be people that would stand in the factory, the toothpaste factory, and they would literally put the caps on the end of the toothpaste bottles. Not anymore. That's right. Yeah, and now he owns so, a chocolate factory. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. That's that's the that's that's the one, isn't it? That's in uh, Willy Wonka, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what his dad does, right? He's like, yeah, he yeah, does yeah, that. yeah. He puts the caps on the. On that's the right. That's right. I remember that. And then that's right. And then the robot takes his job. Ha ha. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, so funny. As per yeah, Willy Wonka. Man. See, yeah. see example down in the description below. Links to <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yep. Yeah, that could happen to you. It could. Yep. <laughs> um, cool. Sorry, I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, I've got nothing else to add on the on the Fed stuff. Um, okay. Should we wrap that one up? And do we have one more thing? What's going on over at Block? At Block. <laughs> Block used to be called Square, right? Is they that did. right? That is correct. Why did they change to Block? Block is know. so much worse. Can we all agree Square was a better name than Block? Yeah. Square, Block is like Square, but it has more depth. But like, why wouldn't they? Even Cube, I feel like is better than Block. Cube. But yeah. Square's, Square's better than both of them. Anyway. Yeah, Square's better. Yeah. 
that's yeah. not the that's not the topic of this story. But uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because it's kind mm. of dystopian, but it's kind of interesting Ooh, okay. as well. Um, All right. Some people might find this kind of um, some people that definitely going to hate this. But uh, Block uh, is looking for a new way for brands to advertise their products. Uh, the company uh, is looking to patent a platform for customizable e-commerce tags in, quote, real-time multimedia content. So the tech that they're what? looking to patent. Uh, yeah, let me let me explain. Okay, it's a okay, compli- please explain. Well, it's not complicated, but uh, the way they describe okay. it is complicated. Yeah, but okay, The tech okay. uses computer vision and speech recognition techniques for multimedia analysis to detect when a product is in a video and pull right. up an e-commerce tag or a mm. pop-up box that displays more information and allows purchases for that product. So, Interesting. for example, uh, to digest that complex uh, <laughs> sentence, yeah. you could be on Instagram and you might see your friend has posted a, a photo and they have some shoes, let's say, in that photo that you think are pretty cool. What these tags would ultimately do is you'd be able to click on the shoes and regardless of whether your friend has tagged that brand in the photo, uh, you would be able to, this technology would be able to automatically detect what those shoes are and you can go and buy them. I like that. So as I said, I I like it too. It's a little dystopian, I think, like, because they specifically said that they would be looking to implement this on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. And- you just hope that this doesn't become super intrusive on the content because oh, yeah. I think a, no, yeah. immediately my brain went to just just everything is just like outlined on a YouTube video and it's like hat, <laughs> t-shirt, like t-shirt, yeah. sunglasses, like everything, like the light Nose behind job. you. Wait, what? Yeah, that paint is a specific white color you can get from Bunny. <laughs> like, like everything is just everything is just advertising. That's um, so funny. That but, would be uh, pretty over the top. But it, it, I can yeah. see it being very helpful. I mean, how many times have you seen, yes. oh, I wonder what that thing is that they've got in that. Um, you just click on it. Mm. Yeah. Could, um, could catch you out if you have something accidentally in the background of your videos. What is that? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Uh, but uh, Block said its tech aims to reduce friction of a customer needing to go to a separate website or a page to complete a purchase. Uh, Lauren, uh, how do you pronounce that last name? I don't know. Tur- Turney. Tierney. I- investor. I don't know. T- That's my best guess. <laughs> Who knows? Lauren, uh, investor at Venture and Digital <laughs> Assets Fund, uh, Decasonic said, uh, people, uh, most people buy from their social connections today. They don't buy from targeted mm. marketing ads. I think the future really lies in the idea of more immersive shopping, uh, more immersive shopping will emerge, uh, in places, uh, that we already consume, um, mm. I generally agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think more and more people are, um, you know, trusting um, their 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 social connections, uh, their online social connections for uh, for the products and services that they buy, uh, yeah. rather than just you know targeted advertising that you see, whether it's on YouTube or on on Facebook. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah, not definitely. something that's available yet, but. Uh, but but certainly interesting. It's I'm, coming. I'm curious to see how it uh, how it'll be implemented. Yep, it's coming, Hamish. Just like your big win, it's coming. Um, okay. All right. Well, with that said, do you want to do just a couple questions of Q and A? We've got about four minutes, I think, left. So should we do a couple yep. of questions? Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a look. I'll just I guess I'll just start at the top. Um, sure. 
I don't know, Hamish, I feel I've looked at these questions for so many weeks. I feel like we've answered them. I always <laughs> have this feeling. I feel like we've answered them. So, if we yeah. have, I'm sorry. Are you sure no, we, haven't we haven't answered this? Okay. Uh, all right. Hit me. No, I don't think we have. Okay. That's all right. How do you if, detect if we have, a st- Sorry. If we have, we're doing it again. Yeah. Uh, how do you detect when a stock is a falling knife? Oh, um, good question. I don't think that you can. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I don't think you can tell, oh, this thing's going to fall another 20%. This thing's going to fall another 50%. Who knows? Um, I think that you just have to stay in your lane. You have to look at the businesses that you know are high quality, that are close to home, that you understand really well. And if it does fall... As long as you understand why it's falling and that the fundamentals of the business haven't changed, then I think if it hits a margin of safety price, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hesitate to buy a company that's falling, that's a high quality business, no risk of bankruptcy, or very sorry, I shouldn't say no, very, very little risk of bankruptcy. Um, if yeah. you know, great financial health, something short term's happened, all the fund managers are selling it, but I wanna hold it for ten years. If that's falling sharply and it hits my margin of safety price, I'm not going to say, oh, but it could be a falling knife. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Hamish, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this as well. Uh, Because, you know, investors do get burnt on stocks that just keep falling uh, in the short term. But I think if if you know that this is something that you understand, that it's got great financial health, it's not going to go bankrupt, then I don't see a problem if it hits your margin of safety to start buying it. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts around that? No, I, I don't think anybody knows what a stock's going to do in the short term. Uh, and I, I don't know. So, so, some, people's, some people will say you can, um, but I, I'm of the belief you can't tell if a stock, if a stock's undervalued, I don't think you can tell if it's going to get more undervalued or not. Mm. Um, I think you can only look at what price the market is offering you today uh, and compare it to what you think the company is worth. And in my view, catching a falling knife would refer to some people would refer to this as buying a stock and it simply falls. I would kind of refer to it as um, incorrectly valuing the stock and buying it undervalued or what you believe is undervalued, and then <laughs> realizing that you're wrong. So you've you've and then it falls further. Um, right, and then you try and buy more, try and catch it. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, I don't think you can tell what a stock's going to do in the short term. Um, I'd love to know because every time I buy something, it falls 50% after I buy it. Um, It's always the way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's that's just the way it goes. And ultimately, Mm. it doesn't really really matter um, because what someone's willing to pay for something in the short term doesn't impact its value in 10 years. Or mm. what some or the cash you can pull out of that business, so it's it's kind of completely irrelevant. The only point at which it's relevant is if you're wrong about your analysis. Then, you know, buying mm. the stock and it falls eighty percent, it doesn't necessarily mean it will come back just because you bought it at a higher price. Um, mm. You you could be wrong, um, but but yeah, I don't really buy into the whole theory of catching a falling knife and of waiting for the bottom and then you know waiting for a bit yep. of it to to rise. Who knows buying. if it's the bottom. Yeah, uh, exactly. You can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in the 2008 global financial crisis or even 2000, um, even in the tech bubble, the market bounced like 10, 15% heaps of times on the way to a massive low. Yep. So you can't really predict yep. it. I need to sneeze. Um, Hamish, yeah. you and pick well, another question. <laughs> 
Uh, where should we go? Uh, let's answer this one. Would you ever interview it's or gone. analyze a small local? That was a long sneeze. Jeez, no, it, was... it never happened. Never oh, happened. Okay, I was going to say I was very quiet, and you were gone for a long time. So yeah, I was. Just I, don't, I was wondering if you light, know what trying to sneeze. Like, do you know what Wait, a sneeze you, is? Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, that's okay. Um, uh, would you ever interview or analyze a small local business that is owned and operated by one of your viewers? Uh, you could look at their cash flow and future revenues and expenses. Uh, that would be really be cool. Interesting. Yeah, I think that'd be yeah. really cool. It's a cool idea. I feel like we've answered this one, Hamish. Hey, I gotta say, have we? I don't know. I th- I feel like we have, but no, I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, I w- I would actually really like to do that. Um, yeah, I think it would be cool. I don't know. You'd have to title it really well. I'm just thinking about like YouTube content now. You'd have to title it really well. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? There'd have to be something horrifically wrong with the business so that you could title it something funny. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But it oh it, it, it is interesting to look at. I do like looking at small business financials. Um, like even not a small business, even if you know one of my friends is working in a you know a small firm of some sort. I'm just hearing, and they kind of therefore have some insight into um, some of the numbers of the company revenue and how much they spend on marketing. I love just hearing about that stuff because Mm. a lot of the time, small businesses are just a, uh, usually they're a lot simpler. So it's a good way to learn about analyzing businesses without the complexity of a big public company with 10 different subsidiaries and, you know, 20 different executives. It might just be, you know, a single bakery or something and it's just interesting yeah. okay well how much do they spend on bread and does that fluctuate a lot do they yeah. have to how do you track you know um what is in demand is it seasonal it's just interesting to to mm. dive into some of that Break stuff it down. so um yeah. yeah it would be interesting yeah all right very good well that is us done for the day everybody we are out of here we're done i'm gonna go yeah. walk along the beach No, not really. It's overcast (laughs) and a little bit rainy and quite cold over here. Um, I'm going to get back to work. That's what I'm going to do. What do you got on the rest of the day? Work? I yeah, I've got to I've got to finish do some editing. Always edit. It's almost always edit. Edit. If you ask me what I'm doing, it's like nine out of ten times it's editing. So (laughs) if you ask me what Uh, I'm doing, zero out of ten times it's editing, and I love it that way. I'm so Mm. so glad that I hired the boys. Thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys as always for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Um, we are running long questions. Uh, if you wanted to ask us a question now is an opportune, t- uh, opportune time. So you can either leave it in the Spotify question box or you can go over to the most recent episode on YouTube and drop us a comment and we will get through your questions. But yeah, thanks. As, as I always say, thank you guys very much for giving us an hour of your time. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Thanks as always to Hamish for joining me. Thanks to ShareSite no for sponsoring and we'll see you guys in the next one. See you guys.